All right, well, good morning, everybody. <clears throat> Great to see everyone was able to make it out this morning for our <clears throat> Bible study that we are continuing in the book of Luke. And I invite you to open your Bibles with me to Luke, the 16th chapter. Luke chapter 16. Luke 16 is where we have made it to in our study thus far. <clears throat> this morning, the goal is to cover Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 15. And we're going to try to hold up there. And uh, when I talked to Barry a couple days ago, he was sitting on the beach. But he's, he should be back next, next week, and we'll pick up. And um, I'm excited to get into the story of the rich man of Lazarus, one of my favorite parables. Um, before we dig in too much here in Luke 16, let's begin our study with a word of prayer. <clears throat> Most holy, heavenly Father, our God in heaven, we are so thankful for the light of a new day. We are thankful for this opportunity, Lord, to assemble as a body of your people. We're thankful for your word, for the ease by which we can open your word and study your word and we pray that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to receive the message that you would have us to understand here this morning allow that message to change us and may we be a light in a dark world to change those around us because of your power and your working within us and it's in Jesus name we pray amen <clears throat> okay Luke chapter 16 we are in the very middle, the meat of the book of Luke. And if you remember back in chapter 9, the Mount of Transfiguration, and when Jesus came down from the Mount of Transfiguration, it says in Luke chapter 9 and verse 51 that he set his face to go towards Jerusalem. And what was he going to Jerusalem to do? What's that? Yes. He, he set his face to go to Jerusalem to complete his journey. He is marching to the cross. And since chapter 9, and especially these past couple weeks, we've just been getting into teaching and preaching after, one after another of Jesus proclaiming that the kingdom of God is at hand. And stressing to his hearers, to all of those who would hear, the nature of the kingdom of God and the nature of God himself. And just the kind of disposition that as God's people we're going to have to have if we are going to be considered children of his. And as we've seen in these past few weeks what that person looks like in the kingdom of God was not what the world would have thought. It was actually quite the opposite. And that's nothing new. That's been the case since the beginning of this letter. Since the very beginning, the message of God and the message of Jesus in regards to those who would be in his kingdom is a message of humility, of exalting the humble, Jesus left the riches of his father in heaven and was laid in a feed trough in the town of Bethlehem. That was intentional. The things of this world 
that the world esteems and regards as great and to be exalted, that is the opposite of the way God sees things. Last week, chapter 15, we studied about the parables of the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the prodigal son. And here we come to Luke 16, verse 1. <clears throat> he also said to the disciples... Now, I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent, but it's interesting that at, at the beginning of Luke 15, it says the tax collectors and the sinners are drawing near, and the Pharisees and the, and the scribes grumbled. But then it says that he told them... And it reads that Luke was speaking, that Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees and those sinners who would draw near to his disciples. But here in Luke 16, it seems that we've turned to Jesus speaking directly to his disciples. Even though we see later on in verse 14 that the Pharisees were there and the Pharisees were listening. Or they were hearing what Jesus was saying. It's hard to say that they were listening. Maybe a small point, but this is an orderly account. Not orderly in terms of chronological order, but orderly as far as this is meticulously put together. Everything here is absolutely intentional. What I'd like to do is read this parable of the dishonest manager and then go back and see what the message is. See what you think. And I invite your discussion. <clears throat> Jesus said there's a rich man who had a manager. And charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do, since my master has taken the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do so that when I'm removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So, summoning his master's debtors, one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, write fifty. He said to another, And how much do you owe? He said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, Take your bill, write eighty. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. All right. <clears throat> There's an awful lot there. What's, what's the point? What's the story? What's the scene? What, what did you deduct from this parable? We can start from the beginning. You have a rich man and the manager. This manager is going to be fired. Why do you think this guy was getting fired? Yes, sir. Well, I was going to answer that question. Yes, go ahead. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Reduces the debt of people who owe his master money 
I think, in my opinion, it's because he wants to have someone he can go to after he's fired and maybe call in some of those favors and say, hey, remember when I helped you reduce your debt? I need help. Yes, that's absolutely the point. He's making arrangements for a future day. And when it says he knows that he's going to be fired and he says, what shall I do? I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. Why, why do you think that's there? Why did Jesus say that? This may be more of an opinion, but we all have an opinion of this, I suppose. problem of humility. What, what could he have done? If he knew he was going to be fired, what, what would be the maybe you would think logical thing that he could have done? He could ask his for forgiveness. Ask for forgiveness? He could have uh, looked for employment elsewhere. But instead, he says, I'm not going to do that. <clears throat> Laziness, maybe. Um, it's the parable of the dishonest manager, but I bring that up to just say that just one point that strikes me out of this, um, and maybe it's just because it's something that I think about and I talk with my boss and my work a lot, is the importance of working um, this may be a, a really small point or a tangent to go on here, but I just couldn't help but read this verse and just kind of smile. Because this is such an attitude of people in our world, and this is not new, this hasn't changed, but we are called to work. And if this man knew he was going to be fired, he should have gotten another job, or asked for forgiveness. We are called to work. Um, <clears throat> You know, 1 Timothy 5, 8, I believe, Paul says, we are, if, if you're not willing to work, and especially work to provide for your own household, it'd be better off if you were an unbeliever. Um, Paul says later, if you don't work, neither should you eat. In the beginning of, before man was created, God in the Garden of Eden, after God had finished his work with creating the world, God said, there was no man to work the ground. And then he formed man out of the dust of the ground. So work was always in the plan. Pre-fall of man, work is essential to what God has called us to do. He has created us in his own image. But this man says, I'm not going to do that. But I have decided what I could do and what I'm going to do. And I'm going to do this so that people may receive me into their houses. So he's, he's thinking ahead. He's looking ahead and he's saying, go, go ahead, Brian. He, he's just thinking ahead and he's saying, I'm not going to have a place to live. So I've got to figure something out because I'm going to be sitting on the street corner and I need to figure out. And I've got a plan where I could stay in these people's houses by doing them a favor. Yeah, I got Purpose of why the manager is doing what he's doing. He's not, he's not 
forgiving certain portions of these people's debts as a means of mercy. He's doing it as a means of covering himself. So in the future state, he'll go to them and say, well, you owe it. You owe this to me. And he's, he's looking at himself, protecting himself, and not, not to those that he's managing. And he takes care of the way that he should. He's thinking about, he's totally dependent upon this master. His, his way of living, his meals, his food, his, his house, his work. He's totally dependent on that, that master. So now he's looking for another master that will take care of him in a way that he, he could call in those favors, like Chet said. He's is, he is totally dependent upon this master. He, and he's lost. These. Uh, that's absolutely correct. Those are great points, uh, Brian and Alan. Um, and these possessions that he squandered, think back last week, the parable of the, the lost son. What did the younger brother do with his possessions? He squandered them, wasted it all away. And here we have it again. He squandered these possessions, but yet now, well, like the younger brother also, but now whose possessions is this? Who do they belong to? The rich man. So the dishonest manager is only managing things that are not his at all. He is absolutely, as, as Alan said, he is absolutely dependent on his master. And his master has been observing how he is handling his possessions and does not approve. And do you think that when this dishonest manager goes and he says, you owe my master a hundred, but quick, sit down and write 50. Do you think the, the master wanted 50? Or do you think he wanted this hundred? He wanted his hundred because they had an agreement. They had an agreement. It wasn't his deal to give. Okay. But nevertheless, a day of accounting had come. And then verse 8. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. <clears throat> what do you think that means? Jay. Yes, ma'am. This is a little bit different perspective, but it seems to me, it seems to tie in with the shrewdness. If he could have gone and gotten a job, I don't know that the master would have commended his shrewdness. I think the master realized he was in a difficult position. And actually what the text says is he's not strong enough to do. The idea of going and managing somebody else's money after he's been caught stealing, nobody's going to hire him to do that. Right. It's not the bad way. You know, you can't jump jobs like that. Uh, if you, if you can't get a record because it's bad. So I, I tend to believe it's exactly what he said. I'm not strong enough to dig, and he didn't want to bet. I think if he had the option of just going somewhere else to get a, to, to work, that the manager would not, I mean, the uh, owner would not necessarily have said, commended his shrewdness. I think he was backed up against the wall. Now, that doesn't change the dishonest part of it. It was still dishonest. But I, to me, that makes a little more sense. Does that, that was a different take on it, but this is a discussion, and I don't have all the answers. So, um, but you have a great point about the observation about the reputation. So, 
how we are dealing with one another in this life, if we are dishonest with people in our dealings, as we go on to read about making friends, what does that do for our ability to make friends if we're dishonest? We're going to have dishonest friends. <laughs> or no friends. Or no friends. John? This is a very complex passage. And I agree with Melinda, actually. I think that that's so totally separate. I think he is making an honest assessment of himself in his situation in that statement. I can't think. I, that's not an option. I don't so what can I do? But what he's doing, and this is where I, I don't know if you're going to get into this here in a little bit, but further on in the passage, Christ loops it back around to his disciples. What this man is doing is he is take, making decisions that affect his well-being. He's, taking, he's making decisions and using resources that do not belong to him to materially affect his situation. Yes. And we are in a similar situation because we have belongs to us. Yes. So we should be making decisions with that. This and this is where it's it's a very it's very challenging. Yes. We're tied in square yes. the circle, but we're being asked to do the same thing with what God has given us. It doesn't belong to us. He's you know making that correlation between somebody that is dishonest that is of the world and he's taking something that doesn't belong to him and materially affecting his situation by making decisions <laughs> based on using somebody else's stuff. Yes. And we're being asked to do the same thing. Absolutely. That is the point of the parable. Josh, do you have something? I'm going to say that I think shrewdness might have been switched to cleverness. That the man, the boss is like, oh, you thought, but now you thought wrong. <laughs> right. Yeah. Cleverness, craftiness. Um, I kind of took the master commanded as dishonest manager for his shrewdness, not as Jesus telling us. Hey, this guy was commended. Maybe you should be shrewd in your dealings. I don't think that was the point. I think the point is, and again, I just look at it from my world perspective. If, if, if my employer and I, if we fired somebody, but yet they said they went and got another job or made some reservations, like, well, I could have just fired you and you could have just drawn unemployment, but you didn't do it. You went and figured out some other situation. Yeah, I tip my hat off to you for that. You actually thought about something rather than just wallowing in your, uh, your pity for yourself. Um, but I don't think that the master is commending him because of any good that he did. He's not saying, you did something good. I'm glad you did that. He's saying, well, I got to give it to you. You figured some way out to get these poor people to um, feel like they're in a position to return a favor to you. So that, that was my take on that. Anything? Yes, sir. To me, the story of the prodigal son in this one is the same. The prodigal son was at bottom, and he thought to himself what he was going to do. This man was at the bottom. He was about to be fired, and he thought about what he wanted to do. In both cases, they both were at the bottom. In both cases, they came up with a way to think of their future in the worldly sense of taking care of themselves. But in this case, he says, when those un unrighteous wealth fail, then go 
to where you know eternally what they would be, which is in heaven, which is exactly what happened to the prophet's son. He was accepted in, in forgiveness, and accepted in and received the riches of his father. That's which a, is the same as this story. That's a great point. Yeah, he has found himself in the pig pen. Nathan. I think the passage is allegorical, and I think it's, to me, it's summed up in verse 9, where it says, To make friends for yourself by means of the mammon of unrighteousness, so that when it fails, they will receive you eternal dwellings. To me, that's, we know as believers that money possessions are essentially worthless. There's no score sheet that the more you have, the better things are going to be for you in the, you know, in the end. You can't take it with you. And they're not given to it. They're given to us as, you know, as stewards. And we can use those as tools to help people bring them to Christ. And that's how we can earn eternal wellness, is by using possessions that are given to us, not, you know, that we don't earn them. That's and a great the glory of God. That's a great point, Nathan. I appreciate that. Kelly? Uh, Just to piggyback on that, I think if we spend too, many, too much time on, like, the details of it and trying to, like, decide, like, if it was wrong or right or whatever, I don't think that was the point of the of parable. I think the first, the first eight, first nine is the point. Those were just details to kind of set up the picture of what, what the Smith's situation was, not, not that we're supposed to judge what he did or did Right. Right, and that's a good point. You know, you've got to stay within the train of thought and get the message of what he's trying to say. Yes, ma'am. I think maybe the word focus is, is the word, you use the word foresight, but he had one focus, and that's what Jesus has said all along. Yes. Single eye, no division of heart. Yes. One master, he cannot serve two masters. Mm -hmm. And he had one goal, and he went for it, and that's what we're supposed to do. And we're going we're gonna to get into that much more in this next uh, handful of verses. That's a great point. He was fixated on this life and this world. He was fixated on what's going to happen to him here in a few years rather than an eternal perspective. That's what Jesus is preaching and teaching all along. The eternal perspective. How does God view the things of this world how does what does God want for us to see and to view the thing the material that we see in this life by means of unrighteous wealth what do you think he means by unrighteous wealth what does that mean yes sir it goes back to Genesis when he talks about the thoughts of man's heart being evil continuously, of trying to figure out a way to get something that you shouldn't have. And it, it, it's, it's in man's nature. It's in all of us to want an easy path and try to find the easy path when God gives us a path. He says, you work with your hands, you be happy with what you've got. And they'd be a simple life, but yet, I don't know anybody that really wants to be bitches even though they're making, you know, that they can live off. But if that's what God has for you. Contentment, we'll, we'll get into that much more. Uh, that's a great point. We'll get into that much more in these next couple of verses. But unrighteous wealth, I would suggest, being contrasted to the true riches. And the true riches being the blessings 
of God, the blessings of eternal life, the blessings of his son, the greatest prize, the greatest gift that has ever been given. Make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. I, I'm not going to lie to y'all. I, I really had to meditate on that. I, I, to try to articulate that to y'all, I had to really think about that. Do you have any thoughts on that verse? Yes, ma'am. I think the idea of unrighteous wealth, though, is just worldly wealth. I don't know that necessarily yes. means we got it in a bad way. Yep. It's just that that's contracted with the spirit, mm -hmm. but the rest of it. Yeah, I, I would suggest that the unrighteous wealth being contrasted here to the true riches, again, that eternal perspective, keeping in mind what our money and these worldly possessions mean, make friends, I would suggest would mean make friends with Jesus, make friends with God by means of what we're given in our lives. By doing what? Well, you know, John 14, or John 15, excuse me, Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. So how do we make friends with Jesus? Well, we do what he told us to do. And, and Jesus continues in that same train of thought and John that we see here, and, and I would believe that he's saying, keep this eternal perspective in mind that this life is going to end. There will be a day of reckoning coming, and instead of being consumed and fixated on this life and these worldly things and these worldly treasures and bank accounts, instead use these things in a way that would honor God, use what you've been given in a way that would glorify God so that in so doing, you're making friends with God. You're becoming more like him, generous, learning to give and We'll talk about that. I'm not going to get off, off on giving just, just yet because that was a, a wormhole. But uh, learning to use our money and our possessions in a manner that would honor God, making friends for him so that when it fails, that when it fails, because it will fail, that he may receive us into the eternal dwellings. Again, going back to John, just after that train of thought when Jesus said, you're my friends, if you do what I command you, shortly thereafter, he says, in my Father's mansion are many rooms, and I go to prepare a place for you. It's the same train of thought. And that's where we need to be focused. The preparations that we need to be making, rather than I want someone to take me into their house here in a couple years because I know I'm going to get fired, we need to be thinking, where am I going to be in... 20 million years and I want to be received there and make sure that I have a home and possessions there and again this is not new in the book of Luke we've seen this over and over and over again uh, in all of these parables we've been studying for weeks now any thoughts yes ma'am
And knowing how to build in a worldly fashion with money is, because when you think about it, even today, when people are in a lot of debt, and money goes to debt collectors, what do they do? They offer you a deal. Mm -hmm. So, you know, yeah, we'll cut your debt in half, but hey, we're getting something out of it instead of nothing. I think it really was a combination here. And that, um, so if you know how to build in worldly things, Yes. Yes. And, and when he's saying the sons of this world are more shrewd in their dealing, he's saying to me that the ungodly of this world even have sense enough to know that they've got to look in the long view. So how much more so should the godly, should the sons of light, how much more so should, should you keep in the front of your mind an even longer view? And you should know that. And, and if this dis dishonest manager knew that preparations were needing to be made, I am telling you today, there are preparations that you need to be making. Uh, but it goes much deeper than just the here and now. It seems that, uh, and we'll get into this, but the, the Pharisees and, and, and the context of this society and this culture and it seems especially the, the, the train of thought that the Pharisees and the scribes and the religious elites had, the Jews, was that their money was a blessing from God. And they were making judgments on people who didn't have money as being, well, they, that's the way that um, you know, God is punishing them in some way. But this perspective of our, our perspective of this life has to change from being a river spread out over a mile, a mile wide and an inch deep. You know, that's not going to cut much ice with, with the Lord. We're going to have to think about things a little deeper and go a little further than, than, um, than what the world would have us to think. Someone have a, yes, ma'am. But they are acting like this money is a gift from God and it's theirs to hold on to when he's trying to say, no, the people of the, the, people of the world that are giving it away are the ones that are doing it correctly. Like you're, you're trying to act like this gift is yours to hold on to when like it's, like it's something spiritual and not part of the world, but it really is. It's, it's like they're trying to separate themselves from the world. And it's like, no, you are in the world. You've got to use the, the things that are of the world to, to do my will. You know, the things that are, does that make sense? Like, Absolutely. The, it's it's <coughs> trying to like separate yourself completely from the world. The, the, the things that are in the world are the gifts from God. You have to use those as to bless others and to do this well. Great point, right? Just going on top of that, the idea of not putting, you know, taking pride on possessions and looking at that as a means of measuring where we stand. Because in person, we've been putting a lot of focus on this. I think the warning there, or really the fact that we should take away from this, is that. Looking at this wealth and what we do with it, how we acquire this unrighteous wealth, it doesn't say so that if it fails, 
Right. That's right. So we're told to fair. It's enough yes. to get us where we need to go. So I think, again, I depend on this in a lot of different ways, but this is a picture of how us, as we mentioned, God's blessings, how we are to use those to show others God that they bring in. Yes, you know, we, we are God's money managers. Yeah. You know, another point to this being the dishonest manager took advantage of an opportunity. And keeping in what Jesus has been preaching thus far in Luke, we need to understand that our days are numbered, that a day of accounting is coming, and we need to seize the opportunity that we have that's in front of us now because the door is closing. It will not always be open, and we need to use the opportunity while they still exist to make friends with God to prepare for the eternal dwellings and not squander the opportunity that we have in front of us now, today. Yes, sir. You ever think about what Judas is thinking while he's talking to him? <laughs> but it's been a message for him because you think he said, he says, you go to these friends and who did he go to? He went to the people he was going to sell Jesus to and, and because he wanted something from them. Right. And and he's the guy that had the money. He was the manager. Right. And and here he's saying, Well, you better be looking to them for help because you know, and, and when we when we look at the people that we associate with, whether it's in a business sense or a friend's sense, we need to say, Are these people gonna help us get together or are they not? Absolutely. Be careful who your friends are. Any other thoughts? For, yes, sir. It seems like all these comments are hitting around the thing that I have in my head, probably we're all saying it just in different ways, but um, I love what it says in um, verse uh, 15 at the very end. Um, and he said that you, you are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, that God knows your hearts for. Here it is. That which is highly esteemed among men is detestable inside of God. The shrewdness that was being applied by the dishonest manager was something that helped him to be highly esteemed, potentially highly esteemed by other men in this world, other people in the world. The Pharisees were very good at that. You think about the comparison of the two prayers in another part of it, when Jesus talks about the, the righteous man who sees himself as righteous and he goes off and he prays praise and he's very proud in his prayer and says, thank goodness I'm not like this sinner over here. Yes. And then the sinner's praying and he can't even lift up his, his eyes to heaven. He's so humble about it that he doesn't even feel like he has the right to talk to God. And he's, I think all those are similar principles. These Pharisees are, what's important to them is what makes them look good and be assessed or esteemed highly according to worldly things. Yes. And um, principle here is that uh, the shrewdness is people in this world are very good at doing that. They're usually very good at recognizing what will work out best for me 
in this world? How do I get a promotion at work? If I have to lie about something, be dishonest about something, work on Sundays, whatever it might be, how do I get ahead in this life? People are shrewd about that. Um, if you're going to not think more about this life and think more highly about the life to come, you'll be having to pass on some of those things in this life. And I think what Jesus is encouraging all of us is we need to be as shrewd about how to lay up treasures in heaven yes. as people are shrewd about being, doing well for themselves in this life. And Absolutely. We are distracted by this life, so we may not be as shrewd. We may not be as focused on how to lay up treasures in heaven as we are about taking our care of ourselves in this life. Absolutely. Great point. And, you know, back in chapter 12, parable of the rich fool, Jesus said the same thing. Rich toward God. And, and God, when the, when the man is the exact same way, he was laying up treasures on earth. And I'll tear down this barn and I'll build a bigger one and build a bigger one. And God said, fool, you're stupid. This is all going to be burned up. This night your soul is required of you. And the things you've prepared, who will they be? And that's the message of the Bible. It's always been the case. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. You know, is you save up all your money, you toil and, and work so hard, but then you're going to die. And who are you leaving your money to? Your kids? Are they going to be wise or are they going to be a fool? So the eternal perspective... So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And a great point about the Pharisees, um, you know, again, back in chapter 12, woe to you Pharisees, you tithe mint and rue and every herb. You know, you have all the best seats in the synagogue, but you're neglecting justice. You're neglecting the love of God, the weightier matters of the law, the actual moral principles you're neglecting. But you look good, and there's a lesson there. It's a great point. Let's continue. Let's read verse 10 through 15, and then make some final points here. <clears throat> One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. One who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you the true riches? And if you've not been faithful in, in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The Pharisees who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. Okay, back in chapter 15, they were grumbling that he was eating with sinners, but here, money stirs up emotions a little more. They ridiculed him, and they said to him, <clears throat> and Jesus said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. <clears throat> what's the message? What's the point? We've been talking about it all morning, but what's the, what's the point of this parable? <clears throat> Jesus is 
Yeah, the use of money in a bad way. And, and the use of trusting in this world for that money that you're going to get. I think over and over. It goes all the way through all of them. The lost coin, the lost sheep, the prodigal son, the manager. It's all about the money and it's hitting them every time. Every time those Pharisees. Everything that we see in our lives, all of these blessings that God has allowed us to see, we are borrowing. And we need to know that. And we need to keep these things in perspective and use them in a way that would glorify and honor God because a day of accounting is coming for us all. And what will it be that governs our behavior here and now? What will it be that governs our actions now? Is it going to be our bank account? Is everything that we do in this life going to be tied to, well, I don't know if I can do that because I need this number to stay at a certain point. And is that going to govern our principles, our morals, or are we going to allow God to govern our lives and to govern our morals and principles? We'll all give an account. God knows our hearts. God is not going to be fooled. Just like the, the, the rich man, he, he knew what was going on. The dishonest manager thought he was existing in a vacuum. He could do what he wanted, but his master was observing. God is observing us. God is calculating. And we need to, to take heed there. Some hands that had popped up. Nathan? Yeah. I think, like you said, that God, as always, God's plan for, there, for us to do work. And if you're going to work for the glory of God, I work for the glory of man. Yes, and, and, and to be careful with when I say that, because here you are those who justify yourselves before men because I don't want it to come across as work and maybe the Pharisees saying, well, why can't these other people go out and get a job like me? Why can't these other people save money like me? Because in justifying themselves before men, what were they doing to the other men? They were judging. They were looking down their nose. You remember the, the man that came from the crowd earlier in Luke and he told Jesus, tell my brother or whoever it was to divide this inheritance with me. And Jesus said, who made me a judge over you? Stop. Just let it go. Stop being fixated on these things in, in your life. Now, these worldly, earthly things. And start living your life with an eternal perspective and see things the way God sees them. And you know, Jesus has been going about, he came to this earth, was born to free us. Jesus is our deliverer. He is the new Moses. And do you remember back in, in Luke 13, the woman with a disability, and it read that Jesus had loosed the bonds <clears throat> of her disability. Jesus is trying to loosen the bonds of the grip that money and the love of money has on us. It's a trap. He's trying to get us to understand that. Jesus is setting us free 
And it is freedom. I don't, I don't have to be worried about what's, what's going to come about tomorrow. God knows you need material things. He's going to bless you in that. But you need to be more focused about heavenly things. And the Pharisees were lovers of money rather than what should they have loved more than money? <coughs> lovers of, of God. I didn't have the, uh, the verse in front of me. I think it's 2 to 1 Timothy um, where it talks about that and it talks about the snares of the devil and in those last days there will be those who are lovers of money but neglecting the love of God. Don't neglect the love of God. Don't neglect true justice but instead seek God and seek to see things the way God sees them. Hope that made sense. Appreciate everybody's comments this morning and next week we will continue in Luke 16. Thank y'all.